All right, well tonight we get to learn about some eschatology, so that should be fun. Um, we're not going to get super deep, we're going to look at surface level of four different views of eschatology, and we've been talking for quite a while about our hermeneutic and comparing our understanding of the covenants of scripture with the covenants of covenant theology, and to be honest, I really didn't tie that in super well to tonight's lesson, but if as we're going through the four main views, hopefully at a basic understandable level, and you guys have questions that do tie in with what we've been going through, please raise your hand and ask, because um, that is our ultimate goal. I just chose to go in a little bit of a different direction. There's so much to say about eschatology and the different views of eschatology, and it can be really easy to get way too deep, and I didn't want to do that, and I probably failed even in my attempt, and um, we'll see what happens, but let's go ahead and start off in prayer before we do anything. God, we do thank you that you are our Lord and our King, that you are in charge of everything. You are in control and sovereign over every molecule of this universe. God, we thank you for the fact that you have given us information on the end times, on eschatology, that you know the beginning from the end, and that you have revealed to us what you've seen fit to reveal to us. God, we thank you that your ways are above our ways, your thoughts are above our thoughts, that your word will not return void, it will accomplish everything that you have set it out to do. We pray that this evening it would uh, move in our hearts, that we would be uh, moved and changed by your holy word, that we would have a, a better understanding of not only the the eschatological position of this church, but of other Christians, other believers that have different views, and that we wouldn't use that as an opportunity to divide, but we would use that as an opportunity to learn and to um, even seek uh, unity and camaraderie with brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we love you and praise you and pray that you would teach us tonight. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so the four different views of eschatology that we're going to take a look at tonight. Um, first off, we're going to start by looking at historic premillennialism. We're going to have a couple of bigger words that we'll look at tonight, and we'll discuss them and define them here in a moment. Just don't get overwhelmed. I know that it can be the tendency of some to see big words that are hard to pronounce, that are multisyllabolic, and uh, kind of check out and, and tune out. Let's not do that. So, historic premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and then dispensational premillennialism. Again, I know, lots of big words, lots of syllables. It's okay, though. We'll get through it together, I promise. And I had Andy hand out a, a handout, um, and hopefully that will be useful and beneficial to you. We're not going to cover that per se. However, a lot of the material that is covered in that handout will be included in this presentation. I got that handout from this book that I find really useful. This is an older edition, Understanding End Times Prophecies by Paul Benware. Um, that's very helpful and useful. It goes through these four different eschatological positions. So, um, 
let's kind of pick apart these big words really quick before we dive in too much. Um, you'll notice that each one of these categories has within it the, the word millennialism. And so that's in reference to the millennium that scripture talks about uh, mostly, well, not mostly, but um, especially in Revelation 20. So if you will, go ahead and turn with me to Revelation 20, and we'll read from there a little bit. But before we get there, let me explain these terms just a bit. So premillennialism is talking about how um, it's mentioning um, when Jesus is going to return, that he will return prior to the establishing of his millennial kingdom. Um, then amillennialism, ah is the prefix of negation, just like atheist, right? So amillennialists, they don't hold to a literal thousand-year reign. They still believe in a millennium. Uh, it's just understood and defined differently. Postmillennialism, they think that Jesus will return after the millennium, after the, um, the kingdom of God is established. And then dispensational premillennialism, that's just, there's a, a couple of differences between historic and dispensational, and we'll get there momentarily. So, Revelation chapter 20, and I'll go ahead and start by reading the first three verses. Well, actually, I'll read the six verses. And uh, we'll see that different positions have a very different understanding of how these six verses play out. So Revelation 21 through 6 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. After these things he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So there's a lot going on in those verses. We just kind of jumped into the end of the book of Revelation. And as we'll discuss tonight, there are several different understandings of that uh, short little passage. So um, let me just again go over these different uh, understandings, these different positions that people hold. So premillennialism both historic premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism, says that Jesus returns prior to establishing his millennial kingdom. So, once again, um, all of these positions are centered around when Christ will return in relation to the kingdom. Everybody that holds to one of these four positions believes that Jesus is going to return. They all believe in a second coming. It's just a, a matter of timing. It's not just a matter of timing, but the name is centered around the timing in 
relation to the kingdom. Postmillennialism says Jesus will return after his kingdom has been established by his church. That's unique and different. All millennialism, they don't hold to a literal millennial millennium, but they still believe in a second coming. And um, there are different variations even within these views. And I'll try to present to the best of my understanding uh, what the majority of each group holds to, recognizing that there are differences and even schisms within these groups. So there isn't an absolute agreement within any one of these groups. So it's kind of hard to teach exactly what they teach, just like we know with um, any, any group, right? Any Christian, any Mormon, any Jehovah Witness, um, there's going to be differences of beliefs within those major groups. All right, so let's start by looking at historic premillennialism. So historic premillennialism um, believes that Jesus will come back before the millennium. The millennium, in large part, is what we just read about in chapter 20. That speaks very uh, directly toward the millennium. We looked at several passages, especially in the Old Testament, about the millennium throughout our study. Um, and we've referred to it uh, probably most directly when we were talking about the Davidic covenant and how Jesus will establish his kingdom. So the millennium, the kingdom, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ, those are all referring to the same thing. However, these different groups might not uh, grasp and, and hold on to and embrace some of those terms, especially like the, the thousand-year reign. Um, but historic premillennialism, they do believe that Jesus comes back prior to his setting up his kingdom. Uh, this was not, it is not as popular today as it once was. It was very popular in the, the early church. And during that time, they taught a physical return of Jesus to establish a literal kingdom on earth. So that's important, that Jesus is going to physically return. That was the understanding of uh, the, the early church, the first couple centuries of church history. They understood Jesus is really going to come back that uh, just like we read about in Acts, when Jesus is sitting on or standing on the Mount of Olives and he ascends and the angel says, what are you looking at? He's going to come back in the same way that you saw him go. Um, that was how the early church understood that he was going to physically, literally, bodily come back to the earth in the same way. Um, so they believed that all of creation would be restored to its original goodness in the millennial kingdom. Um, and I'm not sure if they held to a, a distinction between the millennial kingdom and the eternal state, the new heavens, the new earth. Uh, again, there's kind of a mixed bag of what people believed in. It's kind of hard to figure out what people believed in 200 AD. Um, historic premillennialism does not believe in a rapture. We, at this church, we teach and preach that Jesus is going to come back for his church prior to his second coming, that he is going to rapture his church. But historic premillennialism, they didn't make a, a distinction between the rapture and the second coming. Well, they, they don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Yes, yeah, so... They believe will be caught up. Yeah, simultaneous with the second coming. So in, in one event, the church will be caught up as Jesus is coming back at his second coming. It'll be one singular event rather than two separate events separated by a period of seven years. 
All right. Um, they do believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation. So as Jeremy just mentioned, they don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. They think that the church is going to be here on the earth during the, the tribulational period. Um, yeah, there's... Um, they, they believe in a, a literal antichrist who will rule for uh, seven years, but we will be here during that time. We won't escape that. And they also teach that the church has replaced ethnic Israel. We've talked about that a little bit, especially in regards to amillennialism or um, covenant theology, that covenant theology as a whole sees Israel as the, the church of the Old Testament. And they see the church as the Israel of the New Testament. They don't really uh, make much of a distinction between the two. It's, well, some people say that Israel just expanded to include the church, and they'll make that kind of distinction. But others will say, well, no, there's really no distinction whatsoever except for the time period in which you find them. Um, so historic premillennialism um, didn't equate Israel and the church quite as much as amillennial and postmillennialism does. Um, and you'll see that on your, your little handout that I gave you, that um, they make a, a distinction between the, the spiritual aspect of the church. Um, let me see what it says exactly. So it says, some distinction between Israel and the church, future for Israel, but the church is spiritual Israel. So parse that how you will. But um, they, they blend the, the church in Israel um, more than we do at this church. Um, let's see. So uh, they thought that God's promises of land and, and blessing to Abraham, they were conditional promises that were based on uh, the obedience of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Israel as a whole. Um, we hold to the fact that that was an unconditional promise. Remember that God in Genesis 15, he alone walked between the, the animals and he made this promise to Abraham as an unconditional promise. That's the, the position that I take, this position that the, the church holds to. Um, but historic premillennialism, they think that it was a, um, a conditional promise and that because Israel failed to keep those conditions that they really tie in with the Mosaic Covenant. Um, that's why... God hasn't given Israel that specific piece of land. And those who hold to this view today are referred to as covenant premillennialists. So uh, covenant premillennialists or historic premillennialism, they speak of the, the same group of people. And this seemed to be the predominant position of the first two to three hundred years of, of church history. And I actually came across, uh, well, Here's a, a quote from Papias. Papias was a, a disciple of John, so he was really early in the church. And he says that there will be a millennium after the resurrection from the dead when the personal reign of Christ will be established on, the, on this earth. So that's right along with what we believe, that there's going to be a millennium uh, of the resurrection from the dead and the personal reign of Christ will be established on this earth. Um, and that's really early. That's 60 to 130 AD is when Papias lived, who again was a disciple of John who wrote the book of Revelation. So it's kind of cool that we have uh, history from that early in the church from a direct disciple of the apostle who wrote these words that we 
honestly oftentimes struggle with. And um, even in this discussion amongst pre and post and uh, all millennialists trying to figure out what does he mean. And yeah, we have these words from Papias that um, ring pretty loudly. Yeah, did somebody have something? Joseph? I'm kind of confused yeah. Yeah, there are two different resurrections, and we'll, we'll get into that. Does All right. That, does that mean that, you know, this, this view that's up there, does that mean that the millennium will be populated only by resurrected people with new bodies, perfect bodies? Uh, no, I don't think that he would hold to that. We definitely don't hold to that. Uh, is there anything in that statement that would lead you to believe that? Yeah, so again, there are some distinctions between uh, historical premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism. So we'll wrap up with dispensational and uh, share what we believe when we get to that point. All right, well, um, I wanted to show this map. We've talked a little bit before about, and that map's almost useless. I mean, you can kind of see some stuff on there. Um, if you sat close enough, you have the privilege of seeing that map. So we've talked a little bit before about the different schools of uh, theology, the different schools of thought in early Christianity and how the Alexandrian school, you see Alexandria down there toward the bottom of your screen in Egypt, how that school of thought differed from Antioch, which is over on the, the upper right-hand side of your screen um, over in Israel where we see a lot of maps in our Bibles. So the, the school of Antioch, was a lot more conservative, historical. And then over time, the, the Alexandrian school, they established and developed a system of theology that would use and incorporate philosophy into the, the theology. And it uh, gave a, a system of exposition to Christianity, a, a way to go and study and extract from the Bible. What they were doing is they were applying Greek philosophy to Christian theology and kind of mixing and and blending the two, maybe not blending, but they were applying Greek philosophy to biblical Christianity. And this led to a transition from emphasizing uh, our hermeneutic, the literal, historical, grammatical hermeneutic that we spent five or six weeks going over. They transitioned from that to more of an allegorical system of interpretation um, where they, they look at the Bible differently and they impose different understandings that aren't literal different spiritual or deeper understandings. Uh, they looked for hidden moral meanings that corresponded to the soul or, again, a, a deeper underlying spiritual meaning other than uh, just what it literally plainly says, the normal understanding and reading of the text. 
So this school was started um, just in the, the second century by Pantanus, uh, was succeeded, who was succeeded by Clement of Alexandria. We talked about him a little bit when we were going through our uh, church history series. And then Origen. Origen is known as the, the father of allegorical interpretation. Uh, he really took it kind of the, to the next level. And so they're all from the, the Alexandrian school, again, where it's a little bit more uh, liberal, applying the, the Greek philosophy to the Bible and coming up with a more allegorical understanding of the text. Well, Tertullian, who was from the school of Antioch, he wrote to Clement of Alexandria from Alexandria, and he asked this question, he posed this question to him. He said, what has Athens in, in Greek, in Greece, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? Um, so he was pretty much saying, what does Greek philosophy have to do with, with Jesus? What does Greek philosophy have to do with biblical truth? Uh, he asserted, rather than um, purifying truth, that philosophy would contaminate the truth. Um, so Tertullian wanted to keep the Bible separate from philosophy, not take philosophy and apply it to the Bible. And so we have these two different schools of thought. And again, all this is happening just within the first uh, two, three hundred years of church history. So uh, Alexander, or Clement of Alexandria lived from 155 to 216, Origen from 185 to 254. So this is pretty early on in the church that there's this different school of thought that's being applied to the Bible uh, uh, using this Greek philosophy to understand the Bible. And this really ultimately leads to uh, all millennialism, the, the next of the four systems that we want to take some time to examine. So all millennialism, again, remember, they don't believe in a literal millennial reign of Christ, not the, the literal thousand years where Jesus is going to physically reign on the earth. They will still hold to a millennium. They just have a different understanding of it. And what they will say is that Jesus is currently reigning spiritually in the hearts of his church. And so um, actually a, a lot of all millennialists will take offense if you say, well, you don't even believe in a millennium. They'll say, well, yeah, we do. We think that Jesus is reigning right now. We think that Jesus is king right now. In fact, they will point back to people like me, dispensationalists, and they'll say, well, you don't even think that, that Jesus is on his throne. You don't think that Jesus is reigning. You don't think that Jesus is king, which is a, that's not true. That's a mischaracterization. Um, but they think that we are currently in the millennium right now. They don't think that the thousand years in Revelation 20 is to be understood literally, but rather it's to be understood figuratively as an extended period of time. So in that text that we just read from Revelation 20, they'll say, well, yes, it says a thousand years, but that's uh, an allegorical number, or we should understand that allegorically, not literally, that what John is trying to communicate is just that Jesus is going to reign for a really, really long time from his ascension. That's when Jesus uh, ascended and he really um, began the millennium until his second coming. That's the, the length, the duration of the millennium from the perspective of an amillennialist. And again, Jesus isn't reigning in a, a physical sense from their view, but rather in uh, a spiritual sense. Yes. Yes, yep, uh, that's my next point. So uh, 
that does mean that Satan is currently bound in, in their understanding. Um, and what they'll say is that not that Satan doesn't have any influence on the world whatsoever, but that he doesn't have influence over the, the nations of the world. Like it says in verse 3, that in Revelation 20 verse 3, that he would not, not deceive the nations any longer. So they'll say that um, now that, that Jesus has ascended, uh, the gospel salvation isn't just relegated to the Jewish people, but it's now available to the nations. Satan can't Im- impose his, his power or his influence over the nations. Um, and really what is um, being presumed in that position is that previously he was able to exert some kind of influence over the nations. And that one day when, uh, when Satan is released, that he will again be able to exert that influence over these nations once again. Yeah, they'll say at the cross that Satan was bound, and then at the ascension is when the millennium began. So there's a little gap of time in there. That was two millennium ago. What's that? That was two millennium ago. Right? Yeah, but it's not a literal millennium. It's just an extended long period of time from their position. And how it's not literal. And they'll also go to it's like Colossians 2.15. It is, right? Uh, man, my Bible pages are all bent out of shape. Uh, let's see. So Colossians 2.15 and 16 says that when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Okay, so yeah, just 15. That he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, making a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And they'll say that this is the, the already not yet of Satan's being bound, that he is um, absolutely bound, and then um, it's just going to grow from, I don't really understand fully, but um, let's look, we've been going through 2 Corinthians on Sunday, so let's turn to 2 Corinthians real quick, and I'm kind of deviating from my notes a little bit, I'm supposed to be giving the the all-millennial position, but um, we'll look at 2 Corinthians for a second, 2 Corinthians, and we'll see in... See. So my my Bible, the corner of the pages are bent down, so it'll look like it's saying Second Corinthians four, but it's really Second Corinthians ten. So I get lost easily. So Second Corinthians four talks about the the God of this world. So looking at we'll start in verse three. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is, who is the image of God. And somebody help me out. When was Second Corinthians written? Just generally speaking. When was Second Corinthians written? Written. Yeah, it was 55, 56 AD, which is before or after Christ. That's after Christ, right? After his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And it's talking about how the godless world is, is blinding eyes. Um, what was the scripture you gave? What one? 2 Corinthians. That was 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. A couple chapters before that, it says um, in 2 Corinthians 2, I'll start in 10 and read to 11. It says, But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So that's not only just within the world, but even within the church. Um, Paul is preaching that and um, worried about Satan taking advantage of them. And then here in a few months, uh, in some number of months, um, we'll get to 2 Corinthians 11. And... Let me see. Uh, let me see a similar thing there, but I am having a hard time finding it right now. All right, here. 13 and 14. It says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Not Satan used to do this once before, but Satan currently is disguising himself as an angel of light. First uh, Peter five eight talks about how Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a problematic point for amillennialism, saying that Satan is currently bound. Um, let's see. <clears throat> they also believe that uh, Israel is the church. So even though Satan can't keep um, one person from salvation, again in the all-millennial position, he is um, binding, or no longer able to bind nations. That's what they would say. Um, and then making that connection once again that um, it's not just confined to Israel. And and nations versus peoples versus individuals, right? Yeah, that Satan doesn't have any power over uh, nations, that he no longer has any power over nations. I think that they would probably look in the Old Testament and say, well, there are individuals who came to, to Christ or came to salvation through Israel uh, and Israel um, sharing Yahweh with them. Um, but now he is no longer bound in his influence over the nations. All right, and then... Um, on that line up there before where it says Satan is currently bound, it also says that the first resurrection is equal to the new birth. So going back to Revelation 20, um, it speaks about, uh, I see a, a couple of different resurrections there. It says, um, well, and maybe verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And so they'll say that the first resurrection 
uh, has already taken place. They'll equate that with, with new birth or regeneration. They'll say that that's the first resurrection, which is a spiritual resurrection. And the second resurrection will be a, a physical resurrection when uh, Jesus will physically reign or raise both the um, those who are in Christ and those who are not. So the first resurrection is an individual person. Yes. Yep. In the, the amillennial position. Yep. Uh, Melissa. Uh, that looks like us succeeding in our Christian life, sanctification, that we are currently in the millennium. Um, we are also currently being, um, we are going through tribulation. So we're facing tribulations as we're in the millennium. Those are concurrent in the all-millennial position. But it's not a literal thousand years. Say that again. Like, because when I read, they will reign with the breath out of years. My mind goes to they're going to live for a thousand years. Yeah. They'll reign the whole time, but that can't be what that means because the thousand years. The thousand years is just a really long time. So for this long duration of time, from the ascension of Christ until His second coming, we, as His church, will reign with Him, uh, even as we are undergoing persecutions and tribulations. Joseph. So many questions. It's okay. Is this is this the group that also believes that like um, during this time the world is actually supposed to be like slowly getting better? Like that's the next group we'll cover. That's oh, post millennialism. Okay. Slowly getting Yeah. Yeah. And again, there are different groups within this group. Even so, some will say that they are optimistic all millennialists, um, and yeah, they'll they'll borrow a little bit from post millennialism and just be more optimistic. They will say that things are getting better, but that we are still in the, the millennium currently. All right, so this view that the, the first resurrection is equal to our new birth, equal or equivalent with us coming to Christ, this was first developed by Augustine, who lived in the, the fourth century, he came shortly after Origen, uh, from our perspective, I guess, shortly. Um, so he developed this view that the first resurrection is referring to salvation, and this kind of stuck. Um, he said that those who are reigning with Christ are saints. That um, Some will say that those who are reigning with Christ are saints who have already died. And then there are some who say that we are reigning now um, on, on the earth through his power, even those who are living. All right, and then... The last point I think that I have for all millennialists is that they see a great deal of biblical prophecy as being fulfilled in 70 AD when Christ came in judgment. So 70 AD is a, a big date and a big deal, uh, especially in all millennialism. Uh, Augustine said that the devil then is bound and shut up in the abyss that he may not seduce the nations from which the church is gathered and which he formerly seduced before the church existed. So, yeah, Satan is bound and shut up in the abyss. Um, and then, again, you have to focus on the, the nations. That's where they would say, well, it's not that Satan isn't, isn't having influence in the world. He's still able to have influence over here. But God has stepped in and he said, you can no longer have 
influence over the nations, which uh, precludes that he was once able to have influence over the nations, which I disagree with. But don't they equate uh, all believers in the Old Testament to Israel as a somewhat of a form of a church? Yeah. Yeah. They do. So they have the church before Jesus began to build it. Uh-huh. Yeah, just this last week I heard R.C. Sproul, who was saying something about Israel, and he said, uh, the, the church of the Old Testament, if you will allow me to say. And uh, he went on to, to make his point. I forgot what his point was, but yes, Israel is the church of the Old Testament, and the church is the Israel of the New Testament. All right, so um, it was Augustine who really um, popularized this view of amillennialism, though it was present beforehand, it was considered heretical up until the point that uh, Augustine adopted it. And then once Augustine, this great brilliant mind who nobody could really argue with or debate against, adopted it, it became a lot more popular within uh, Christianity, more broadly speaking. And then many who held to historic premillennialism before this had a hedonistic view of the millennium. They thought that during the the millennium, we're just going to uh, party it up and uh, drink and live in just uh, almost debauchery. And that's really what kind of set Augustine against the, the historic premillennial view and uh, caused him to look elsewhere and embrace amillennialism. All right, we need to pick it up a little bit. Postmillennialism, what Joseph was talking about. They believe that Jesus will return after his church ushers in the kingdom. So they do believe in uh, a millennium, but that it's going to take place after uh, the church makes the world get better and better through the uh, proclamation of the gospel and evangelizing of the world that we will slowly usher in the kingdom. They also tend to view the thousand years allegorically as a, a really long time. There are some people who could view it as a, a literal thousand years, but that's not really popular. Uh, they are incredibly optimistic and committed to preaching the gospel, which is great. That's one uh, positive thing about post-millennialists. They get out there and uh, they really get involved in the community. They get involved in uh, their evangelism. Again, it's certainly commendable. Well, I thought World War II shot that to pieces. Uh, a little bit, yeah. But it's definitely uh, revitalized a little bit since World War II. Um, yeah, let's see. Let's skip all that. Okay, so they'll focus on the fact that uh, God has given authority to the church on earth now in this current, uh, current age. Um, and they're kind of somewhat patronizing. I, I understand them to be a little bit patronizing in their explanation of their evangelism, saying that... Um, you and I would preach a, a condensed or a truncated version of the gospel that we actually uh, don't really believe in the Great Commission. I heard somebody just in recent weeks say, oh yeah, well, we, we actually believe in the Great Commission. They're post-millennial. Uh, we actually think that Jesus is going to do what he said he would do when he sent the church out on, on this mission of the Great Commission. Um, and that when, when Jesus says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and that he sent out the gospel, the 
the disciples with the gospel. Um, they Again, they're very optimistic, and that's good, but it kind of comes across a little bit patronizing sometimes. Um, they say that Jesus is currently reigning from his spiritual throne right now, um, similar to all millennialists. And... Um, when we say, or when all millennialists say that he is already reigning and he's yet going to come and, and reign again, again, they're a little bit patronizing and they say, well, you mean that he's, he's already reigning, but he's not really reigning. Um, so they, they really focus on the fact that Jesus is reigning now, that he is king now. And they will kind of also, with the all millennialists, kind of pan us into a corner and say, well, you don't really believe that, that Jesus is king which I find a little bit frustrating. All right, they expect the gospel to not only transform individual lives, but entire societies and countries. Um, at least large swaths of post-millennialism think that that's how the world is going to change through the evangelization of the, the societies and the countries and the states that make up the world. So does that mean they believe in Christianizing people? Yes. Yeah, that you change the, the culture and society and then hearts will become changed through that. Yes. Though the post-millennialism that's popular today is pretty quick to condemn Constantine and that version of Christianizing, they, they would not want to be lumped together with that kind of Christianization of the nations. Yeah. That's a, a big topic right now with the whole Christian nationalism and how to define that and whether or not to embrace that. So, yeah, yeah, it's wrapped up pretty closely with a lot of post-millennialists. Uh, how? How do you say that? Based on us spreading the word, bringing the kingdom to this earth. Yeah, they'll they'll still be quick to say, well, that's a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who's doing the work. We are just being obedient in our, our commission and our call to go out and evangelize. Um, they just actually believe the Great Commission, Logan. So that's the difference. All right. Um, and Lanny, as you said, post-millennialism, it began to thrive during the, the Great Awakening, so 17, 1800s, uh, dwindled out after World War I and World War II when people are looking around, they're like, oh, maybe things aren't actually getting better. And it's kind of had a, a recent resurgence where um, they will look at history on a, a grander scale. They'll zoom out a little bit and um, they'll say, okay, well, we're kind of a, an upward trajectory, kind of like you might see in a, a stock market exchange uh, picture or something. It's not always going up, but that's a, the general trend. All right. Um, oh, there we go. I put that on there and I forgot about it. All right. Yes. Yep. And just one of the, the difficulties with post-millennialism is determining when the millennium actually begins. 
Uh, when have we reached that point where the, the world is Christianized, when we are in the millennium? Um, and you'll get all kinds of different answers, I suppose, if you ask that. All right, uh, I've got a quote here from Kenneth Gentry. He says, as a consequence of the spread of the gospel, history will experience widespread faith in God, righteousness on the personal and social levels, and international peace and prosperity on the cultural and political levels. Again, so Christianity is going to influence not only individuals, but uh, internationally, that cultural and political uh, ways are, are going to be changed and become Christianized. All right. Finally, the, the fourth view, dispensational premillennialism. This is what we hold to at this church. And this um, view is the only one that holds to a, a rapture as, as we know, a pre-tribulational rapture where the, the church is taken up at a, a separate time other than the second coming, where those are, are two distinct periods of time that is unique to dispensationalism. The other three beliefs, they all see one return of Jesus, uh, even including 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, which is like the, the go-to passage for the, the rapture being separate. Um, this is an interesting quote that I found just this week uh, from Ephraim of Syria. Uh, he lived in 306 to 373, so really early. And he said, For all the saints and elect of God are gathered, prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord, lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sins. So uh, dispensationalism really became popularized really recently, just in the last couple hundred years with Nelson Darby uh, and, and Schofield and Schaefer and Ryrie and different recent people. But we see this guy Ephraim of Syria, he was around in the fourth century and he had some of those same thoughts and ideas that have recently become popularized. That's one of the, um, the points that people like to, to attack against dispensationalism. Well, it's just a, a new phase of Christianity. It's, it's young. It's just um, jumping on some kind of new bandwagon. And they'll almost write it off as cultish. All right. Um, dispensationalism recognizes a sharp distinction between Israel and the church. Uh, again, there are different flavors of dispensationalism. Some are more sharply distinct than others, but um, definitely a, a distinction between Israel and church. And uh, dispensationalism, by definition, sees a future for Israel. Uh, Micah 1 talks about the tribulation as a time of Jacob's trouble, as a time of transgression. Uh, Daniel 9 lays, lays out the 70 different weeks and dispensationalism says that the 70th week is still future. That's the, the seven-year tribulation that hasn't taken place yet, which also Ephraim of Syria, that dude from the fourth century, he also saw the 69th week of Daniel as ending with the, the rejection, the cutting off of the Messiah and the 70th week as being uh, equivalent with the tribulation. So it's just kind of exciting for me to see some guy from the fourth century who holds to the same kind of beliefs that people always say are new with dispensationalism. Um, dispensationalism teaches that Jesus will literally return after the tribulation to establish his literal 1,000-year reign. Um, so it is a, a literal kingdom, and that sets us apart from all millennialists because they don't believe in a literal kingdom. Remember, they say we're in a spiritual 
uh, millennium. It is a literal physical reign, which sets us apart from post-millennialists, which don't think that, who don't think that Jesus is going to literally physically reign. Um, but it's a, a spiritual reign in their understanding. Um, and it's literally 1,000 years. People will often say, well, you only read about that in, in Revelation chapter 20. That's the only place in the Bible that we read about uh, that number, 1,000 years. But so what? I mean, it's in the Bible, right? It doesn't matter how many times it says it. And even in that one chapter, it says it six times. So that's going to be 1,000 years. So I think it's important that we understand it literally. Um, let's see, there's more prophecy about this period of time, the millennium, than any other period in Scripture. Uh, belief in a literal seven-year tribulation sets us apart from both all millennialists and post-millennialists. They don't hold to that literal seven-year tribulation, um, though it is in line with historical premillennialists. And there's disagreement about when the tribulation takes place, even amongst dispensationalists. Some will say that it takes place, the, the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation, some at the midpoint, some after the tribulation. Um, but most dispensationalists are pre-tribulational, that the church will be raptured prior to the tribulation. The hermeneutic that leads to this understanding of dispensational premillennialism is really consistent with historic Christianity. All millennialists and postmillennialists, uh, they will advocate for and, and utilize a literal historical grammatical interpretation of Scripture um, when looking at the different events of, of Christ and the life of Christ, the fact that he was uh, born of a virgin, that he was from Bethlehem of Ephrathah, that he actually uh, walked on this earth, that he had disciples, 12 disciples, uh, even the numbers within Scripture, they'll take literally at those, those points, like the feeding of the 5,000 men, uh, the, the two fish and the five loaves. They'll embrace those numbers even in a literal sense. The fact that Jesus died, he rose again, all of that is, is literal. And yet, when speaking about future things, they'll say, well, that's apocalyptic language, so we should understand that differently. But dispensational premillennialism, our position is consistent with our hermeneutic, um, having a, a literal, historical, grammatical understanding uh, for all these different aspects of, or these, throughout all of Scripture. Um, let's see. This movement became popularized in the 19th century, uh, as I mentioned, with Darby and Schofield and others. And Millard Erickson, who is a all millennialist, he said about dispensational premillennialism, he said that we must frankly admit that a literal interpretation of the Old Testament of the Old Testament prophecies gives us just such a picture of an earthly reign of the Messiah as a premillennialist pictures. So this amillennialist says, if you actually look at it literally, yeah, you're going to end up where they end up, but we look at it uh, allegorically. We have to look for this deeper spiritual meaning. That's why we don't end up where the the dispensationalists end up. Uh, Anthony Hokema says the same thing about Revelation 19, 20, and 21. He says, yeah, if you look at that literally, then yeah, there's going to be a, a, a thousand-year reign of Christ, a, a tribulation followed by a thousand-year reign of Christ and um, with the, the second coming prior to the, the thousand-year reign. So it really does all go back to hermeneutics, and that's kind of why we started there. 
we have 10 minutes. Um, do you have any questions before I go on a little bit more? Yes, Joseph. So going back to post-millennialism, um, do they also believe that like the, so like the Mark of the Beast and stuff and all that was fulfilled in the first century? Yeah, they'll say that that was a reference to Nero. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I've heard, I've heard people who believe in that, like, talk about that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they'll point back to 70 AD and the destruction of Israel. Yep. Lanny? Aren't there uh, two uh, making of the earth new again? Um, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, as far as I understand, in, in Isaiah, uh, when God says he's going to make the earth new again, it's referring to when the um, uh, lion and the lamb will lay down together. Okay. Uh, so, not, yeah, they're... Not the uh, whole new heaven and new earth uh, after the white throne judgment. Yeah, so I see two different phases of that. Um, of the, the millennium when the, the lamb will lay down with the lion and uh, somebody will die at 100 years old and they'll still be considered young. Uh, I don't think that's the new heaven, new earth because there's not going to be death in the new heavens and new earth, right? So that has to be kind of a, a precursor to that eternal state. So there's definitely a, a two-stage uh, thing going on there. So when Christ is reigning, things are going to be a lot better. Um, but there's still going to be death, there's still going to be sin, and then after that, it's going to be the, the second resurrection, the great white throne judgment, and then we will enter into the new heavens and new earth. So with that, I, I want to show you kind of a, a basic timeline of where these different groups land. Well, you can kind of see that well on there. All right, so this is historic premillennialism, and I kind of hope that I'm representing these right. I may not be. Uh, I, Again, I, I don't want to misrepresent people because I don't like being misrepresented because a lot of these groups will say, well, again, you don't believe that Jesus is king. No, I do. Absolutely, I do. Like today, right now, he is king, right? Or they'll say, um, dispensationalists, they just think that um, we are going, that Christians aren't supposed to suffer. Well, no. Uh, Peter, in First Peter 2, he says that that's actually our purpose uh, is to suffer just as Christ suffered. However, I don't think that God's wrath, the, the time of Jacob's trouble, that the church is going to go through that. So just as I don't want to be misrepresented, I don't want to misrepresent other people, but historic premillennialism, to the best of my understanding, thinks that the church age will include the seven-year tribulation. We will go, the church will go through the seven-year tribulation. Um, there will be the, the first resurrection, which they don't understand to be spiritual, as all millennialists and dispensationalists do, at the second coming of Christ. That will take place at the same time. And then when Christ comes back, he will establish his thousand-year kingdom, a literal kingdom. And then there will be the second resurrection, which includes judgment, and then the eternal state going on from there. So that's, again, my best understanding of historic premillennialism. All millennialism looks a little bit different. So remember we talked about how Satan is bound at the cross, going back to that reference to Colossians 2.15, uh, and their understanding of Revelation 20, verse where Satan is bound so he can no longer deceive the nations. That took place at the cross. The church age, the age that we are currently living in, is uh, 
also the, the millennium, that we are currently in the millennium, which is running concurrently with the, uh, the tribulation. And so Satan's power is bound at the cross. We are currently in the, um, the kingdom. So those are, are equal. The, the kingdom, the church age, and the tribulation are all synonymous. And then at Christ's second coming, the, the final judgment will take place simultaneously with Christ's second coming. The second resurrection or the judgment will take place when Jesus comes back and then we will enter into the eternal state. So does the lion and the lamb lie down there in, the, in their millennium? Yes, and I think that's a, a big issue, especially when you introduce that death. Because um, I don't think they make a distinction between two different stages of the eternal state. Maybe some do, but again, to my understanding, they don't. All right, and then post-millennialism. Um, we are currently in the church age where we are experiencing tribulation. This tribulation will slowly wane as the church becomes more and more Christianized. We do our job preaching the gospel and we will usher in the millennial kingdom. And then at that point, there will be the, the second resurrection, the judgment that we can read in the latter part of the verses we read in Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6-ish. Uh, that's going to take place when Jesus actually comes back for a second coming and then the eternal state after that. And then dispensational premillennialism. Um, so we are in the church age right now. We will be raptured at some point, which is imminent. As Jeremy mentioned, postmillennialism doesn't understand the, the rapture to be imminent. It's not like Jesus can come back today or tomorrow. We have work to do, right? Whereas amillennialism, uh, historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, all believe in an imminent return of Christ. He could come back at any moment. So after the, the rapture, there will be a, a seven-year tribulation period. And during that time, when the church is raptured, uh, we will be glorified. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15, that we'll have glorified bodies. We'll be made like him. Uh, we will stand before the Bema seat judgment of Christ. You can read about that in Romans 14.10, 1 Corinthians 3.11 and following. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we just looked at that a little bit ago. So we will stand before uh, Jesus and will be judged for our works, not for salvation. Uh, also during that time of the rapture, we will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You can read about that in Revelation 19.9. Uh, and while we are experiencing all those things with Christ in uh, heaven, some not the, the new heavens, not the eternal heaven, um, the, the rest of the world is going to continue through tribulation where there will still be people who are coming to Christ um, during that seven-year tribulational period. What would you say, Lani? Uh, we will be experiencing it in the Father's house. We, we won't be experiencing... John 14. Yes. Yeah, he's gone to prepare a place for us. All right, and then after the, the seven-year tribulation, that's when... Jesus comes back again, the second coming. Uh, at that time, the first resurrection will take place. That verse 3 and 4, I believe, of Revelation 20 talks about. Uh, the church will come back with Jesus for the, the second coming. Uh, he will literally reign bodily for 1,000 years on the earth. And then after that point, the second resurrection where um, people will will be raised to, to judgment. That's where the great white throne judgment will take place. And then the new heavens and new earth will take place after that as we look forward to the eternal state.
So that's kind of a, a basic timeline of where the different four, four different groups end up. Any other questions now at this point? Yeah, so if you look on that handout that I gave you over in Dispensational Premillennialism, uh, in that column, it has a distinction of judgments. So the believers work at the rapture, that's a Bema Seat judgment that will take place after the church's rapture, before we come back with him at the second coming. Uh, Jews and Gentiles at the end of the tribulation, um, and then unbelievers at the end of the millennium will be judged. So, yeah, three different judgments, and uh, I think even more judgments that we could add to that list, but... There's not just one judgment that, that covers all, whereas um, post-millennialism and all-millennialism, you'll see that there's just a general judgment for all people. So I think there are definitely distinctions in judgment that we can see throughout yeah, Scripture. Under dispensational millennialism, uh, you don't have uh, believers of the millennium. How they're going to be judged? Okay. Is there a famous seat judgment for the, for the believers of the millennium? I don't know. That's a good question. Do you have an answer? God, we do pray for uh, just added clarity for greater 
understanding of your word, and uh, we want to, to please you in everything that we do. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we want to do it for your glory and for your honor. We want to correctly divide your word, uh, and we want to represent you well and uh, present you fairly in a, a truthful manner. God, help us to do that and uh, give us your love and your compassion and uh, just your, um, not only your your embrace of, of your people, but your love and desire for, uh, even for the lost. God, help us to emulate the, the post-millennialists in that, if in nothing else, that we would have a desire to see the world one for you. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.